you have a Bible, you can turn in the Old Testament to the book of Micah. Our Old Testament reading will be from Micah chapter 5. We'll read chapter 5, verses 2 through the first line of verse 5. Lend your attention. This is the word of God. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You can turn in the New Testament, not to the book of Galatians, but to the book of Luke. I had written two sermons this week. Three, if you count the evening sermon. One for lessons and carols one for this morning and then one for this evening, and we canceled lessons and carols, but I was fonder of the lessons and carol sermon than I was of this morning's sermon. <laughs> so we'll use that one. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. This is the word of God. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Join me in prayer as we ask his blessing upon it. 
Lord, we give you thanks for your word, for the light and the life that it brings as it attests and sets forth the one who is light and life, the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder the eternal Son of God became man in the fullness of time. That this king continues his reign to this day, this reign of peace and joy. Open our eyes to see the excellencies of this king and this kingdom. Create in our hearts a longing for it. And grant to us the eyes of faith to see him, to know him. We ask in his name, amen. Families are making a big deal about birth announcements these days. Have you seen these? They're very elaborate. <laughs> these massive productions. The, the, the idea of a birth announcement is simple, and I think it's good. I don't know, did you do a birth announcement when your children was, were born? You send out an email or, or a text, or maybe a card or a video. And in the announcement, you give some details about the new baby, but there's really not much to say. <laughs> the children are rather ordinary. I know that I was struck by the extraordinary nature of my children, but I have a sneaking suspicion that it was in the eye of the beholder. Our children are ordinary, like countless others before them, like countless others after them. And so what's said in the birth announcements are rather sparse. It's a boy or it's a girl. <laughs> they weigh a certain amount. They're this length or that length. The time of the day, the day itself. And then the name. The name is arguably the most meaningful part. Maybe it's a family name. A name with a story. Maybe it's a name the husband gave the child while the wife was asleep. <laughs> a name with a future. <laughs> it's a nice practice, this birth announcement, and it attests rightly to the good gift of life that continues in this world that is marred by death. But our children are ordinary, and yet we announce them, even still. This morning we read of perhaps the only announcement that was worth making. <laughs> For it's the only child who has ever been born that was extra ordinary. That was unlike any other child. The angels here announce the most remarkable, the most important birth that this world has ever or will ever see. That's not an overstatement. Even if you look at history from a disinterested perspective, you're struck by the fact that Jesus of Nazareth, in the world's eyes, a nobody from nowhere, is one of the most influential figures to ever walk this earth. Mm -hmm. And that's just from a disinterested perspective. <laughs> from an interested perspective, we hear the angels' song. Mm. From an interested perspective, 
We see the child as the angels announced him, that this child was no ordinary child. This Jesus was not just the son of Mary, but was the high king of heaven. The eternal son of God. The one in whom all things are upheld. Extraordinary. <laughs> the angelic announcement is not that Jesus is one of a handful of world shapers. <laughs> the announcement of the angels is that Jesus is the Lord of all. He is the king of heaven, and he is the king of earth, and he stands alone to be worshipped and adored by heaven and by earth. That's a beautiful perspective. That's a cosmic perspective. That's worth an extraordinary birth announcement from the hosts of heaven. It's something of the perspective that Paul captures in Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Jesus is the climax of human history. Jesus isn't just the reason for the season. <laughs> He's the reason for everything. He's the reason for earth. He's the reason for time. He's the reason for heaven. He's the reason for creation. He's the reason for new creation. He's the one whom heaven sings. He's the one whom the church sings as everlasting Lord, whose kingdom of peace and joy knows no end, even though this earth continues to convulse with tumults, which seemingly know no end. <laughs> Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, laid in time, Behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. There's so much wonderful about this passage. It's such a beautiful passage. The heavenly heralds, the message of peace, the high king of heaven in swaddling clothes and a manger welcoming the lowly. But the wonder that it opens with is shepherds, the subjects of this cosmic king, shepherds, nobody, nobodies from nowhere. So start with the recipients of this glorious announcements. If you were a king and you bore a son, you'd announce the birth likely starting with the great ones of earth greatest king human history has ever seen is here announced to shepherds. The passage opens, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Whereas the King James Version has it, and they were sore afraid. Shepherds have always been important in the Bible. Have you noticed that? Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. So the fact that the great shepherd here born is announced to shepherds has a certain fittingness to it. There's something about shepherds which suits our God. That's what we read in the Micah passage. You, Bethlehem, from you shall come for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace Ancient kings loved to present themselves as shepherds. You can read about this in the Code of Hammurabi. He sets himself as shepherd of Babylon. But what they really loved to present themselves as was hunters. <laughs> you can see the reliefs in Ashurbanipal's kingdom of him hunting lions. It's the same with the great pharaohs of Egypt. You can look at their temples and you can see them depicted as gods among men, hunting monsters. The kings loved to depict themselves as hunters. God's king is a shepherd. Hunters are in the business of killing. Shepherds are in the business of protecting, preserving life. Hunters are smeared with the blood of others. This shepherd presents himself covered in his own blood in the stead of his people. This announcement of this king to these shepherds gives us a glimpse into the type of king that he is. One who's going to appear lowly and weak and unimpressive in the eyes of the world, just like shepherds. Mark, if the world doesn't prefer hunters... <laughs> Mark the strength that shepherds possess. The passage itself brings it out. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. There's a certain gentleness and strength that's necessary on behalf of a shepherd. Gentle enough, tender enough, compassion enough to bind up the weak. But strong enough to fight a wolf a lion, a bear, not for the sake of fighting, but for the sake of protecting, for the sake of ensuring the life of the flock. Here, this kingdom, though he's adored by highest heaven, is presented as a shepherd to shepherds. Why is one who is so highly exalted presented as one who seems so lowly, who appears so lowly, who's willing to be deemed as weak in the eyes of the world? Why? Very simply, for you. So that you'll come to him. To bring you near. Because for all of our posturings and strength, we're remarkably skittish creatures, aren't we? And our heart beats a heart of fear. You're afraid. 
Don't let the bravado that you see fool you. It masks like papier-mâché a heart of fear. And so he appears lowly because he knows your heart even though you don't let others know it. And he appears as lowly and weak and utterly approachable to bring you near. That's what's most striking about these shepherds. They're nameless. <laughs> they're faceless. They're nobodies. They're lowly. They're even despised. They're on the fringes of society. They're on the fringes of the world. They're not the great ones. They're not the great ones of earth, and yet they're brought to the bedside of the greatest king to bow and to own him as their king. Jesus has not come to anoint the world's structures of meaning, value, honor. Those whom the world pronounces most important, most deserving of honor, it means nothing to him. In fact, he's come to flip it on its head. What do we see here with these shepherds receiving this birth announcement from this angelic host sent by this high king of heaven? We see that heaven's honor is not reserved for the great ones on earth. That should be refreshing for you. You are not, nor will you ever be, one of the great ones on earth. And that's good. That's okay. Because God doesn't call you to inscribe your name on the annals of history to live forever. He calls you to bow at the bedside of the one who has eternal life, and thereby you live forever. That should come as a relief. Young ones, I don't know if you were sold the same lie that I was sold, that you had to make something great about your, of yourself, that you were exceptional in ways that others aren't. You're not. It's okay that you're not. He is. And he welcomes the unexceptional. He welcomes those who are going to be forgotten by the world. As one theologian recently put it, if you can't remember your great-grandfather's name, no one's going to remember your name. <laughs> and that's good. It's liberating when we hear a king who welcomes nobodies, those whom the world has deemed as utterly insignificant, this king welcomes in honor. Hear the refreshing word that that is. That's what James says, isn't it? Because we still get this wrong. James 2.5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? These men with their coarse dress, their sheepish smell, their sheepishness, perhaps, and ill at easedness in social company, they're the ones who receive the honor of heaven bestowed freely upon them. Christ is pleased to dwell with them. Christian, if Christ is pleased to dwell with you as the lowly, 
how much more reason do you have not to look down upon your brother and sister? Think of the infinite gap he eclipsed in his incarnation to dwell with you. And yet we look down at others because they don't make as much money as we do? Because they lack social graces? Shame on us. We can dispense with all our posturings to be great. We are not. <laughs> Let us dispense with the foolish posturing. But then take heart because God is pleased to dwell with the lowly. Isaiah 57, 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit. May God make us the lowly that we may delight in the God who takes up residence in the Lord Jesus Christ with those who are lowly. We meet Christ here by highest heaven adored, summoning shepherds to his bedside, welcoming shepherds, fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, those whom the world despises, this king gathers, and therein his glory is amplified because there's no slight glory attending him it's veiled to us i've mentioned this before those angels they have a more impressive messenger than you see standing before you but this is god's good pleasure to do it this way he could have us sustained week in and week out by angels announcing the message he doesn't do that He's seen it fit to continue to veil the glory, but he would still not have you mistake something that's hidden for something that's absent. He wouldn't want you to think that there's no true glory present just because you can't see it. And that's what the angels reveal. They had it plainly on display, these shepherds before them, the rank on rank of hosts declaring worthy, worthy, Glory, glory, that would have been something. I stand in awe at a lightning storm. This is the dead of night. And a veritable celestial explosion opens to them. And the greatest Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that's what they sing, right? No, not really, but that's the text that inspired that most blessed hymn. <laughs> An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And suddenly there was an angel, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. There are entire worlds of which we know almost nothing. There are worlds we, in our massive learning as a species, we put men on the moon. There's no worlds out there. Ah, right. Just like there's no soul. <laughs> we know nothing. I'm talking as a species. You definitely know nothing as an individual. As a species, we know nothing. 
worlds upon worlds opened up unveiled heaven rent they're given a glimpse at just how little we know the unseen things laid bare for the eyes of mortal men but what are they singing this vast mystery that sits just beyond the veil what are they singing they're not these esoteric mysteries they're singing Jesus! The Son! That's whom they're hymning. This is exactly what Peter says. Things into which angels long to look. Not esoteric mysteries. Not arcane secrets about the universe. Jesus Christ and his gospel and how a holy God is pleased to dwell with man in the God-man. That's what they are in awe of. That's incredible. This king is attended here by glory. Rank on rank, declaring his worth. And it gets more wonderful still because they serve our salvation, these heavenly messengers. Isn't that exactly what the epistle to the Hebrews says? These glorious ones, these ones who appear as light, these ones who fill the night sky with fire, they're all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. They're friends of our king, and thus there are friends too. Aragorn rides in the company of the sons of Elrond. It is an impressive retinue, <laughs> but it is nothing compared to the host of heaven which serves as our, at our king's good pleasure. The gospel tells us that heaven is very interested in man's salvation. In fact, there's more joy in heaven when a single sinner repents. We don't know a lot about these mysterious worlds, but we do know they serve our king, the Lord Jesus Christ. They serve at his pleasure and they delight to see the salvation which he has accomplished spread far as the curse is found. That's their message, isn't it? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news of great joy. Christians can be a dour bunch, can't they? Looking solemn. Oh, so pious. Glad tidings of great joy. We have reason to rejoice. Not a superficial passing smile, but deep foundation of the cosmos joy I was really grasping there <laughs> deep and abiding joy is the heart of this message 
The shepherds are sore afraid when they receive these messengers, but they're immediately disarmed by tidings of great joy. But the great joy that they announce here, the glad tidings, it's not just to dispel the shepherds' fear at the angels. That would have been a remarkable and terrifying sight. This great joy dispels man's most basic fears. These glad tidings of great joy dispel man's most basic fears. The fear of heaven's wrath. The fear of judgment. The fear of death. All of them are dealt with in this message. For they announce a savior. What is a savior? He is one who saves. <laughs> saves from what? Matthew tells us plainly, his name will be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Paul tells us plainly, for he saves us from God's wrath and judgment. That includes the coming wrath. <laughs> Hebrews tells us plainly, he saves us from death itself and the poisonous breath of death, which is fear, which hangs over all mankind. I bring you great joy, glad tidings of joy that will be for all people, not those who can afford it, not those who have earned it. This is a message that needs to go forth the world over for all hang under these fears. The fear of God's wrath, the fear of judgment, the fear of death. Far as the curse is found thus far, is this a message of joy? <laughs> or as we sing in that great Christmas hymn, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. The eternal Son of God became man to save men. Or if you prefer the clunkier term, human beings. Such a clunky term. Men and women and children. Jesus is the reason for heaven's joy. Jesus is the reason for earth's joy. For though death is everywhere on display, here a Savior from death is announced joy good news <laughs> and so the angels sing glory to god in the highest and on earth peace goodwill towards men matthew henry marvels other works of god are for his glory but the redemption of sinners is for his glory in the highest <laughs> that's a bit fanciful but it's exactly right <laughs> God's glory is on display in creation, his goodness, his wisdom, his power. All of it, amply, plainly, everywhere attested by this amphitheater of God's glory, which is creation. Look at the sophistication of human beings. Look at the intricacies of ecosystems. Look at the vastness of the cosmos. Everywhere on display, not just power, but power coupled with wisdom. Not just power coupled with wisdom, but goodness. You're going to enjoy a Christmas feast, I assume. 
whether it's duck or prime rib, I hope it's coupled with wine, and I hope you take a moment to mark God's goodness. Because there may have been a time in recent memory when you couldn't smell or taste. Mark what a rich gift it is. Creation plainly manifests his glory, but new creation manifests it even greater. New creation unveiling not just his goodness and wisdom and power, indeed there is, but his grace and his mercy set on display to those who must have grace or mercy or they die. God's glory on display in the highest. It's his good pleasure to save sinners. How do we know that God is favorably disposed towards men? You can look at creation and the rank of honor that the man and the woman enjoyed in the first creation and say, look, nothing else compares to us. We alone stand in the image and likeness of God. Surely he must be favorably disposed towards us. But all doubt is removed when we consider that the eternal Son of God became man. He did not become an angel. He did not become a lion. He became man to save men. In this way, God loved the world, that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. If you have any doubt about the goodwill that God bears towards men, look upon the Lord Jesus Christ, true God, true man, high King of heaven, late in time, offspring of the virgin womb. By God's good pleasure, he has established peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they sing, on earth, peace, by God's goodwill. It seems reasonable to ask, what peace? It's the climax of their message, peace on earth. By God's goodwill, peace on earth. This king of peace, this savior who brings peace is there peace? Is there peace anywhere? It doesn't feel like there's peace. Nation continues to war against nation. Even the churches of God are so frequently rent asunder, as we sing, marred by division. Fears of famine disease, sword, still fill the earth and stir up a certain madness. And so it will continue until the end of all things. But that's not the full story, is it? Staggeringly, astonishingly, against the backdrop of endless tumult, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes and makes peace between a holy God and sinners. And it is an irrevocable peace because it is forged in the blood of the Lamb. It is established by the only mediator between God and man, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 
For in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Or Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. The peace that the angels announce is that perfect peace between God and sinners, which the Lord Jesus Christ alone has purchased in his holy life, in his holy death, and in his holy intercession, even now. That's the greatest news conceivable, sinner. To have God's justice rightly aimed against you be absorbed in the person of the Son so that you may receive peace. The angel's message is the good news, indeed the greatest news conceivable that a Savior has come to bring peace. So you can know, sinner, that whatever you think your problem is, a bad job, a bad lot in life, a bad marriage, bad finances, as difficult as those things are, your real and most basic problem is that you as a sinner are not at peace with God. Hear the message of peace. Know your problem to be that you are at war with your maker. And worse than that, he is at war with you. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, the war ceases. In the Lord Jesus Christ, wrath is set aside and a fountain of blessing and life opens up from his wounds, his pierced side. Sinner, this is good news. Your restlessness, your anxiety, your depression, whatever it is that's ailing your heart, as real as those things are, let them not distract you from your most basic need to have peace with God. And this he gives freely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace on earth, good news to men. Glad tidings of great joy. Give thanks, Christian. He's established peace. Give thanks, Christian, that your peace and security is not built upon kingdoms which continue to shake and totter and fall. Or as Martin Luther puts it in his own wonderful way, here is not the sort of king who fights with the sword and has to do with civil government. This Lord Christ does not build castles, towns, and villages like an earthly king. Rather, he saves his people from their sins. If you'd rather have the castles and the towns, get your life together. You wouldn't. You'd rather have peace with God, established by the Lord Jesus Christ. Or as Paul puts it, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and joy and peace 
in the Holy Spirit. The best kingdoms of earth can make sure that you have good roads and that you travel them unmolested. May they do that well, please. But the high king of heaven establishes peace between you and your maker, which gives birth to fullness and unshakable joy. Come what may. This is the message that the angels announce. It's a message that continues to go forth. And so we can close by marking that they respond to the message and they go to the king as all must. Verses 15 and 17, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The good news of peace established in this Savior who doesn't look like much to the eye of sense. The offense of the swaddling clothes, the offense of the manger, the offense of the animals. None of it dissuaded the shepherds, for they saw him through the lens that the angel had provided. Not lowly king in a manger, but high king of heaven. Not insignificant and unremarkable child, but the savior of the world. <laughs> the offense gets greater, I assure you, because it gives way. These swaddling clothes and manger and cattle lowing at his side. It gives way to the offense of the cross. Where Christ was crucified as a common criminal. As Christ was deemed a curse. The offense of the manger prepares for the offense of the cross and the eye of sense which would shrink back from the manger is just as tempted to shrink back from the cross. But the message of heaven is by the cross he was accomplishing peace. By the cross he was bringing you to God. <laughs> Let not the swaddling clothes offend. Let not the cross offend. For three days later, he showed that he had triumphed over death and that the Father had accepted the Son's sacrifice. And he is now seated at the right hand where he, where he, not angels, not me, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, says, sinner, come to me. Come to me. You're going to die, and I have life. I give it freely. Come to me. Everybody's going to die. I alone have conquered death. I alone have the righteousness that withstands the holy scrutiny of a triune God. Come to me. Let me clothe you, you who are naked. Let me feed you, you who are starving. Let me give you life, you who are dying. I plead with you, sinner, on behalf of my king, to come to him. For he alone is worthy of worship. He alone brings gifts that are incorruptible, 
unperishable, unfading. Or as Martin Luther says once more in his own wonderful way, this is how we ought to observe the Christmas feast. Let Christ be formed in us. I pray you're looking forward to a day of riches and feasting either today or in the days to come. But unless you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, it's all dust and ashes. The Christmas feast is going to give way to just another Wednesday before you can blink. But take heart. For this very day, the high king of heaven is saying, come to me in faith. And I will give you riches that do not fade. For I give you myself and this from the Father, in the Son, by the Holy Spirit. May his name be praised on earth as it is in heaven. Join me in prayer. Mm. Almighty King, great God and Father, how blessed is your name you would condescend to dwell with us that you would be pleased to welcome sinners and bring life and light indeed immortality to light sanctify us by this word O Lord build your people in faith and continue to gather those who are lost to the praise of your glorious grace we pray in Christ. Amen.